Welcome to the program Discover the Vocation. I'm your host, Father Danny. This is the show where we meet the various people of our diocese hearing their vocation story. Hoping you're having a wonderful Lent so far as we go through this beautiful season preparing for the joy of the Easter celebration. My guest today is Father Ross Bartley. Father Ross is the pastor of Northern Huron Perth Catholic Family Parishes, which includes the churches of Sacred Heart in Wingham, St. Ambrose in Brussels, and St. Joseph in Listwell. Father Ross, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Father Danny. How are things? Uh, I know it's very wintry uh, in our area right now, but I imagine up in the, in the northern part of the diocese, because I jokingly say, you know, my coverage as vocation director is from Windsor to Wingham, and Wingham's kind of like the end of the diocese, if you will. So how, how's the weather been there so far? Well, there seems to be just a bit more snow and ice and cold up here than down south. So, yeah, yeah, let's say we like that. It's part of the nature it, of the beast, as they would say. <laughs> That's it. Yay, Canada. Yay, Canada. That's right. I remind people, you know, if we're complaining about snow, you know, part of Canada. It's part of our experience. Yeah. You get to ride your snowmobile more often up here. That's a wonderful, wonderful uh, opportunity there. That's, and I know I've been there a few times to cover, and I, I'm always wary of the weather, but also, you know, hope-filled. And so far, I was able to cover without any major snow, which was great. So, uh, Father Ross, um, before we begin our kind of our episode, I just want to kind of allow you the opportunity to share a little bit about your vocation story. Maybe uh, before that, you know, talking about your family upbringing. Were you born and raised in the Diocese of London? Did you grow up somewhere else? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your background, you know, where you come from. Well, I was born and raised in London, Ontario. And so uh, that was in 1969. And uh, I was one of four children. Uh, my parents had moved a few years earlier from Australia, and so I grew up in London, going to Catholic school there, uh, attending St. John the Divine Parish, received all my sacraments uh, at St. John the Divine Parish. Um, then I became a teacher after my first degree and after teacher's college, and I started by teaching in Australia. I was an Australian, I'm still an Australian citizen, so I was able to just apply as a regular Aussie. And um, uh, so I taught there for a year and a half. My intention always was just to have a couple of years teaching there, because it's a bit of a custom apparently for Australians to have a couple of years of um, a working holiday when they're starting off their adult life. That's what my parents were supposed to be doing in 1965 when they came to Canada. But somehow they liked snow and ice and all those things. Anyway, God bless them. Uh, and so I taught there for a year and a half. And um, as the years of my university degree were going by, and then as the years of teaching were going by, I was in my daily prayer just getting more and more of an indication that at least maybe God was calling to me, me to the priesthood. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll open my heart to that possibility. I'll, you know, give that vocation a chance because I really did feel equally called to marriage. Uh, but all right, I'll, I'll give this a chance. So I moved back to Canada and entered St. Peter's Seminary in London. And that was in 1994. And then I studied especially theology at St. Peter's. 
because I already had a university degree. And uh, then I was ordained a priest in 1999. As the years went by, I got more and more certain that I was actually called to the priesthood. And happily, Bishop Sherlock called me to the diaconate and then to the priesthood. And so I've been serving as a priest for almost 24 years here in the Diocese of London, uh, serving everywhere from London to Stratford and St. Mary's to Windsor and Sarnia and Aylmer and Lucan, and now way in the northern tip of the Diocese of London. Beautiful, wonderful. How did your family feel or your friends feel when you were thinking about the priesthood? Was it something you were kind of a little bit hesitant to share with them because, you know, you had this plan, I'm going to be a teacher, maybe married one day, and all of a sudden it's kind of like, maybe I'm thinking about the priesthood now. Did, was there a little bit of hesitation or what was the reaction like? And was it exactly what you thought it was going to be or was it very different? Well, although my family wasn't, you know, a daily mass going uh three rosaries a day praying kind of family, you know, we were a practicing Catholic family and, and uh, we were, uh, it was a good context for me to hear the gospel and to grow up as a Catholic. And same with the various friends that I had, I had friends of all kinds of sorts uh, of various religions and various types of Christians. And so but they knew me to be a serious Catholic. So no one was shocked. And I certainly was happy to uh, mention it and to explain it. And nobody was fighting me on it or trying to dissuade me from it. Um, no, one, no one was shocked. And so yeah, it was okay. And, and uh, so I never did have that kind of opposition that a lot of young men have, whether from their family or from their friends. Uh, so I had support. Uh, I, now it should be said I had equal openness amongst family and friends to me discerning the possibility of marriage. Uh, there was a good, healthy understanding of uh, marriage or single life or whatever else being uh, an equally holy and godly vocation. So there was no pressure either way. Uh, but I had uh, really in my teenage years I had started to get more personally involved in the faith. And I think one major element along the way was, say, when I was about 15 years old, um, my sister and also Sister Loretta Manzara um, suggested that maybe I and my twin brother ought to think about uh, helping out maybe on Christmas and Easter, we could play our trumpet and trombone with the choir. And that was a foot in the door, you could say. And so Eventually, then it became, well, how about, you know, maybe Pentecost, maybe the Feast of Christ the King, and then it became every Sunday. And I think you can't avoid, if, if you're becoming more uh, prayerfully involved in the liturgy, uh, especially on the Lord's Day, I think you can't avoid uh, having your faith deepen because you're hearing the gospel proclaimed and you're celebrating the sacraments more with, with greater awareness and with greater faith. And, and then you start saying, okay, well, maybe God is calling me to really consciously discern matrimony or the priesthood. And, and uh, so it was those kinds of things along the way. And, and then various opportunities, like uh, at my high school, uh, there were several teachers, including, say, Father Thompson, who was a history teacher and 
he was an inspiration and then my own parish priests along the way. And um, then in university, I took several theology courses, even a couple at the seminary as a lay student, you know, just as a student who was taking a history degree at King's College and main campus. But, you know, you're allowed to take one or two courses at the seminary. And that gave me a, a unique perspective of being able to discern. So I never needed to go on a come and see weekend because I had came and saw in a sense by actually taking courses there and participating in the life of St. Peter's Seminary community in that way. And uh, so it felt perfectly natural for me to keep on discerning. And then as a teacher to say, well, I'll just pick up the phone from Australia and call up the seminary and say, how about it? And uh, they said, yeah, sure. Hop on a plane, come along. It's all good. And I mean, I mean, there was then also an, an, an admission process and interviews and psychological testing and all of those kinds of good things that were already being done in a serious way in the 1990s, but are even more serious uh, nowadays. But uh, yeah, there was all of that. Yeah. And I imagine it was a bit of a, a risk. I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're jumping on literally a plane to go back to Canada and to enter into this, you know, this discernment process, this vocation of the priesthood. And I mean, it's interesting how God calls us at different times in our lives, but it's always uh, a risk for us. We have to kind of take that little bit of that leap. Did you find that was a bit of a challenge, kind of making that phone call, but also going through the interview process? Was there any point you were kind of like, well, what am I doing with myself? Is this really what I want? Or or did you find there was just a sense of the peace of the Holy Spirit in your heart when you were going through this? I certainly had peace in my heart that it was right to at least uh, open myself to that discernment. That said, there was always in the back of my mind the fact that around that time, as I was preparing to leave Australia, my third cousin, who happened to be the auxiliary bishop of Perth, Australia, said, you know, we have a seminary here, and you'd be most welcome to discern the priesthood for our archdiocese. And uh, whenever it snows, and whenever, whenever I'm white-knuckling it on the road through a blizzard here in Canada, I think of that very moment. I could have said, oh, that's a good idea. But uh, but then Canada doesn't have huge spiders and sharks and snakes and poisonous this and deadly that. So, you know, it's good. It's also a reminder, I think, um, when I discuss with young men discerning the priesthood, it's often we discern, oh, I'm called, am I called to the priesthood, which is great. But I think the more specific we are in our discernment, the more we're able to get a response from God. So, you know, for example, I was discerning, am I called to be a priest in the Diocese of London? And then the Lord answered that prayer with, you know, with, with scripture, with various people and my interactions with them. And of course, with, like you said, that sense of peace in your heart, that there's just a certainty to it. And that mm -hmm. certainty gives you a pause and a calmness to, as you go through the process and application. It's true. You know, as you know, lots of men have a particular call to go to the far corners of the world and proclaim the gospel and other uh, both men and women have a particular call to religious life where uh, they're called to the particular kind of ministry or apostolate that a particular religious order carries out. Well, I really felt this particular call to serve in the context in which I grew up uh, among, you know, alongside the priests who I had known as a child and then as a young adult and to do so you know, witnessing to the goodness and mercy of God, yeah, in, in, in and around my hometown area.
Excellent. So fast forwarding a little bit now, Father, um, you were ordained, you've been ordained now for 24 years as a priest. As you said, you're coming to your, your Silver Jubilee, your 25th year at, at as of this year, I imagine. Is that correct? Or is this year going to be 24? This year I'll be 24, yeah. So one more year and you'll be in your, 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 ju your Silver Jubilee, which is amazing. I mean, thanks be to God for the gift of your priesthood. Um, a lot of people ask us as priests, you know, what's one thing you find joy in the priesthood? And also, what's one thing you kind of struggle with? Because I think the more honest we are with our vocation, the easier it is for young men, especially listening or watching this episode to understand, yeah, you know, those are kind of those things I hesitate of. Or it's good to know that, you know, there's no such thing as the perfect vocation. There's just a vocation as God has called me to with both the joys and also the crosses that exist. So if you don't mind sharing with us, what are maybe a couple of joys? If, if it could be one or it could be a few of the, of being a priest and maybe some of the struggles or, or challenges you've experienced maybe through the culture or through the parish or through your work um, that, you know, gives you pause and sort of gives you a sense of like, you know, I need God's grace to get through this today. Mm. Well, uh, certainly with regard to the blessings, uh, I know one of the greatest blessings is when God has worked in and through me in such a way that whatever gifts I've brought to the table are transcended and that someone or some group of people are helped in some way that is more clearly the work of God. I say that because, you know, okay, sure, each of us has his own set of talents and skills and preferences and habits. But when, say, some homily that I've preached or some hospital visit or visit to a person at home who's sick or when some teaching of a confirmation class has gone well, then it's usually something where, you know, God seems to have exceeded what I had planned or what I, what kind of skills I had so that a person has clearly benefited uh, in a way that shows that it's ministry on behalf of Jesus rather than just me bringing my own talents and gifts, although certainly my own talents and gifts have to be brought to the table at the same time. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing when uh, someone is able to be consoled at a time of loss or uh, inspired as they're preparing for confirmation or whatever it might be. Uh, challenges? Well, I tell you, it could be just the other side of the coin. Uh, you know, the the moving towards a, a day with, where there's a particular difficult set of readings to uh, preach on or, or when there's a confirmation class that I'm uh, working with and I'm trying to figure out a way to either inspire or guide them. Um, those can be some of the greatest challenges because, you know, I'm aware of my own inadequacy and of the need of the person and uh, so, you know, it's it's relying on the grace of God to say, okay, um, Lord, I've got this much. They need this much, um, this much more. And uh, please have mercy on them and bless them and, and help the people uh, for the glory of God and for the good of those souls. Excellent. You know, be beautifully said. I think um, the grace of God is always prevalent in both the joys or the blessings, as you said, and the challenges. I mean, to remind ourselves that, you know, God is in control. We are the instruments of God. You know, we participate, uh, as I as I gave in a homily the other day, you know, we participate in building the kingdom of God, but God is the one that's building it. 
Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we are, you know, we are co-builders with God. We kind of co-work with God in terms of the grace of participating in that work. Um, you've kind of seen both sides of the coin in terms of being an associate pastor and being a pastor now. Um, mm-hmm. Some people might wonder, like, well, what's the difference? Like, aren't you both priests? But maybe you could express a little bit about, like, the work of a pastor versus the work of an associate. Or from your own experience, you know, is it is it kind of similar? Is there more challenges as a pastor? Um, you know, what what are the what are the kind of daily duties, if you will, of, of a pastor versus an associate? Well, both roles are full of blessings. Both are good and holy. And I'd say that a pastor certainly has a bunch of very particular responsibilities and duties that the associate pastor might not have. And, and the pastor needs to be aware of the budget and be planning the some aspect of the parish life and to be keeping an eye on the building and meeting with the building committee and the finance committee and and guiding the pastoral council's efforts in following the pastoral plan of the diocese and the bishop. Um, so the pastor has all those responsibilities and preoccupations. And yet the pastor, I think, needs on a daily basis to remind himself uh, to carefully and lovingly attend to all of the things that an associate pastor can be doing. I mean, it's no no young man gets inspired about becoming a priest because he thinks that um, uh, he wants to balance a parish budget or, you know, because he wants to be fixing a leak in the building or talking about fixing a leak. It's because he wants to uh, baptize and to preach and to visit the sick and to do all of these kinds of things that every single kind of priest and bishop does. Uh, you know, associate pastors, um, retired priests, uh, pastors, seminary professors, vocation directors, you know, every priest. and yes, even bishops, uh, absolutely are there to preach the gospel, to console the sorrowing, to bring God's grace through the sacraments in so many ways. And if a pastor loses sight of that, because we can get very busy with all of the daily administration of a parish, well, then that would be a problem. That said, of course, the pastor can't abdicate all of those duties to other people. He has to collaborate with all kinds of other people, the pastoral council and the finance committee and the building committee and all of the people who work with the pastor. So it's a collaborative thing. So, but, but yeah, the, the pastor needs to balance those kinds of things. But so I'd say that the grass is always greener. Often an associate pastor will think, boy, I I'd like to run the parish in this way. So I'd like to be a pastor. Whereas a pastor would like to say, I'd like more of my time to be, you know, specifically priestly ministry. And so I'd rather be an associate pastor, but, you know, we all need to, uh, to fulfill our duties and both roles are needed. Beautifully, beautifully said. Um, you mentioned the word balance, which kind of brings me to my next question. Um, you know, part of our priestly life is, is finding balance between, you know, our spiritual life and our work, but also, you know, a time to relax, a time to, you know, uh, rejuvenate, 
to recreate ourselves. That's where the word recreation comes from, to recreate ourselves. Um, what do you enjoy doing? What What is sort of hobbies? I know you expressed in your story that you, you, you played an instrument. Um, in the, do you still play at all, or are you musically inclined? Do you like watching, you know, movies, or do you like exercising? Like, what's kind of your your joie de vie, if you will? That kind of you like. I enjoy doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I did mention playing the trumpet, and I made that a pretty serious thing right from halfway through high school until, say, well into my university years. Uh, and I did all kinds of things. I played in orchestras and bands and jazz bands and you name it kind of things. Uh, At some point, I became more of a singer, not professional or anything, but it became more of a thing because uh, uh, I'd sing more in church choirs rather than all the various bands and orchestras playing trumpet. Uh, And so, but all of that, that which I learned on the trumpet then leads on to being able to sing, uh, well, as a priest at mass, um, whether the solo parts as a priest or the congregational parts. Um, so, so that certainly is good. I, I absolutely enjoy sacred music uh, as, as a very soul feeding kind of thing. I enjoy all kinds of music. I enjoy listening to music. Um, and, but no, I, right about when I was a deacon, I realized I wouldn't have the time to keep, the trumpet chops and shape because uh, I'm, I'm sure there are some priests who manage to do that with brass instruments, but there's something quite different about, and I'm not saying playing a piano or a pipe organ or a flute would be easier, but there's something about a brass instrument where you really need your chops to be in shape and you'd need really, you know, pretty well every day, an hour a day practicing. And you just don't have that kind of, well, I didn't have that time. Anyway, so music is beautiful. Um, I mentioned snowmobiles a few minutes ago. Um, not so much with me. I don't do roller coasters and I don't do snowmobiles, etc. Um, you know, back in the day, I used to do a lot of walking um, and cross-country skiing and all those kinds of things. I enjoy all that. I enjoy reading. Um, I enjoy spending time with friends, um, with both family and other friends, and whether it be priests or Catholic friends or non-Catholic friends. Um, you know, uh, social time, all that good stuff. Uh, I enjoy, you know, a certain amount of, um, uh, you know, if I'm on a trip somewhere, I enjoy uh, looking into the various historical elements of the place that I've visited. Um, So I'm not as much into the beach. I'm more into, you know, the historical things, whether it be a parliament house or or a church or what have you. So, yeah. Excellent. Father, just one more question. There might be a young man or woman, but particularly a young man listening to this podcast or watching this episode that might think, you know what? There's a lot there that Father Ross is that really connects with me. Um, or I'm really kind of in that area where he's thinking about when he was thinking about the priesthood at a young age. You know, what advice would you give them to kind of take the next step or like that sort of leap of faith, if you will, to kind of move forward in their discernment, whether it be priesthood or whether it be another, another vocation entirely? Well, I'd absolutely say uh, that the advice I'd give would not be exotic at all. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of really obscure, advanced books and experiences that a person can either read or have. Okay, that's good. But I'd say 
make sure that they're on a daily basis immersing themselves into the gospel itself to be just prayerfully walking through the gospel, maybe setting aside whether it's five or 10 minutes or half an hour uh, with the gospel and just having that conversation with God. Um, and also, you know, maybe immersing themselves a little bit into the catechism of the church. Um, absolutely. Talking to um, religious people, whether it be their relatives or whether it be some of their friends, certainly their parish priests, maybe a member of a religious order that they can get to know. Um, then, of course, further on in prayer, praying the rosary, any of these beautiful things. So absolutely, by all means, when I say exotic, you know, going into um, uh, some very advanced books of theology or else of of spiritual literature written by saints, for sure, absolutely. But yeah, making sure that they're starting with that basic allowing of the gospel to sink into their hearts. That's what I'd say. Beautifully well said, Father. Father, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're very busy. I can hear your email going off a few different times, dinging that you probably have things to respond to as a pastor of the family. And as you say, there's always work to be done, especially in ministry. Before we go, do you mind giving us a prayer and final blessing? Sure. Let us pray. Eternal Father, you are the Lord of love and mercy. We ask that you pour forth your grace upon all those who are discerning vocations, vocations, priesthood, the permanent diaconate, consecrated religious life, mission life, holy matrimony, or the committed Christian single life. We ask that you pour forth your grace on them so that they can discern with open hearts and take steps forward in confidence in Christ. We ask all this through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank All you right. so much, Father. That was great. You bet. So you Thank have you. A wonderful Lent. Enjoy the Easter Triduum. And, uh, you know, we pray that the snow and weather um, cooperates with your congregation and your community. Absolutely. God bless you. I'm your host, Father Danny. It was a great joy to be with you. Join us next time for another episode of Discover the Vocation. Same vocations time, same vocations channel. God bless. Bye-bye.